Hey folks, hope your Q3 and Q4 is off to a good start. We just wrapped up Founder 500 in Austin, Texas. Hundreds of bootstrap founders showed up. It was an amazing time. I loved meeting so many of you. This interview today is a recording from that session, which you're going to love because now we have visuals, we have the founder teaching, and I made every single speaker include their revenue graphs and real artifacts in their presentations. Without further ado, let's jump in. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Welcome to the stage, Chris Vandersluth. Thanks a lot. Oh, don't do that. What if I suck? You'll want to take that back. And trust me when I tell you that Nathan's stressing over whether I'm entertaining or not. <laughs> Can the old guy deliver? I don't know. Okay, so uh, as you said, um, I'm, my context is a little bit different uh, than some of the things you may have heard today. I'm not on a track for an exit even though I've been uh, tagged twice today by people who go, would you like some money? We'd love for you to exit. Um, and we, you know, I got into the business in 1984, founded it with a, uh, with a partner uh, because I wanted to be in that business. And that's true still today. So that's gonna color my comments a little bit uh, as we talk about a few things. Um, the business has gone up and down at different times. I'm gonna tell you about that. Um, you know, starting the very first year where I took home some $13,000 out of the business, um, that wasn't a good year for paying the rent. Um, and things uh, are on track for this year to be at about three. So, um, uh, so things are generally going quite well. Um, here's what I wanna talk about. I really wanna talk about three phases of the business, starting with uh, the first 10 years getting the business started, uh, getting to that first million and then the buyout of my partner. Um, and then the next round that included industrial investor, institutional investors who got into the business um, and getting the business and then owning 100% of the business since and how you need to focus on things. Um, so we got started as a consultant firm. Two guys who had limitless optimism, knew that we could write any kind of code and deliver any kind of solution and it would only take us 20 minutes. Um, we uh, learned a lot in those first years, uh, but we also took on project management software uh, to distribute. So we became a Canadian distributor for project management software. Hard for some people to remember what the IT world was like in 1984, but PCs were new. That was a new thing. PCs in offices, that wasn't a thing. Um, and so project management software available on a PC, that was kind of a new deal. Uh, and we wrote timesheet software to go with project management software. That was really our first, wasn't time control then, it was just customized timesheet software. That got us going. Our very first client was Philips, you know, Philips Information System out of Holland. We thought they called us because um, we were so smart. No, they called us because they had tried to deploy a project management system four times. We were given the uh, attempt number five. The, the uh, management didn't trust their own staff to do it anymore. Um, we didn't know that going in or we would have charged more, I think. Um, but we arrived to uh, put in the system, which in the end worked great. Um, and a timesheet and that also worked great. We've never sold to a client our size. I mean, we're now you know 20-ish people but we've never sold to a company of 20 people. Our clients since the beginning have always been kind of conditioned to larger size firms. Um, and so 
Uh, so working in that space then started to bring us to a uh, uh, to the kinds of clients that needed project management and in some cases timesheets. One of them was uh, Canadair, uh, Bombardier now you would say. So uh, Bombardier, at the, before Bombardier bought Canadair, but they needed defense-based project management software and they needed to track software uh, and they needed to, software to track their projects. Great, we could do that, we understood how that worked. Uh, one more timesheet system. Same thing for uh, General Motors Defense who make uh, the light armored vehicle. You know, it looks like a tank but has eight wheels. Yeah, so the LAV was something that we were helping them work on. We didn't work on the tank. We worked on the project management of how that worked. And so even though we were a small group, we were able to move that forward. And coming to the end of the 90s, we arrived into the early 90s into a recession. That was my first. If we have another one, and you know the jury's out, that'll be my fourth. Um, but this recession um, meant that we had a, a 1993 year that was awful. Really a miserable year. We generated a lot of loss for the size that we were at the time. And my partner said, I'm done. We should let it go. We are already 100K in debt. We should just let the company go bankrupt, walk away, and we'll start something new. But I had a problem with that because I wanted to be in. And he wanted to be out. If you need to buy your partner out, Buying them out when they want to leave and you want to stay is a really good moment for negotiating. Um, he wanted out and he didn't want to be saddled with assuming the debt. He said, well, you'll have to assume the debt. I said, sure, because I'm, I'm staying in. I'd already called our vendors and made arrangements. And I mean, I had to do things that I wasn't used to doing. Um, and in the end, we found, found a price for him that would work. It was about a year's salary. And uh, we knew it was the right price because his wife said, wait a minute. If he buys this from you, could he make millions? And Don said, well, yeah. And my wife at the time said, well, hold on a minute. If we give them this money, could we lose everything? And I went, yeah. And so we knew we had the right price. So, um, so I gave Don a year's salary, which I had to go borrow from family and friends and you know, find the money to get going. Again, stuff I was, you know, made me uncomfortable to go ask for money, but I did and I paid them back and I got Don out. And I said, we've got to shift the company. I don't want to be a distributor anymore. I don't want to be a consulting firm anymore. What I want to do is I want to be a publisher. Let's take something that we could write. Hey, you know, we've done all these timesheets on a custom basis for clients. Let's just do a timesheet. We'll call it time control. Um, and so we did that because it was low hanging fruit. Would be easy, timesheets, we've done it so many times. Turned out to just make that into a commercial product wasn't so easy. But that's, we got time control out as a product in 1994. So now we're in the publishing business. Now people that I used to compete we used to compete against a Primavera, who's now an Oracle product. I called the president of Primavera. He'd made, tried to make me a dealer multiple times. I said, Joel, got a minute? He goes, uh, yeah, what do you need? I go, I need to be a partner. He goes, okay, you're a partner, gotta go. And hung up, um, which was a very bizarre partnership conversation. I've never had one quite like that again. Um, but then I got a call a day or two later from this fellow, John, who says, I've had a very strange interaction with Joel. He says, you're a partner now. Is that true? And so, yeah, we became a Primavera partner. Used to compete, now we're in partnership because I can make a link to your thing and we expanded the use of the product. And so between 94 and 99, things grew. Um, you know, the number continued to go up. In, again, hard to remember what life was like just pre-Y2K. How many people had software businesses pre-Y2K? Just me? 
one, two, okay. So then you'll appreciate it. But for the IT business, that was a, a bonkers time. We had trouble keeping IT staff. They were in high demand from everybody who had never done their Y2K stuff. People wanted more and more money. We had people coming into us for three, four times during the year asking for raises. And if you didn't have stock options, if you weren't on the way to an IPO, they were out. So we made stock options and we talked about to some investors to say, well, we'd like to, you know, work towards that kind of life. Great. So now we found a couple of investors who came in, worked together, and we cut a deal that included a whole bunch of bits. It included some debentures, you know, loans that could be converted into shares. It included some equity. It also included, uh, you know, them co-signing for lines of credit and other things that came more from the bank. Altogether, we had access to about $2 million. We'd done about 1.3 the year before. So $2 million was no small thing. I was like, wow, now we've got everything we need. That was in November, 1999. Just in time for the tech crash of 2000, which started uh, basically at Christmas. So terrible, terrible timing. You know, looking back, the whole curve had been going up. Well, nobody really thought that it would immediately crash, but there it was. And so now I arrive over the next couple of years with equity partners who have a lot to say. Uh, they're on my board. They want me to grow. They are still in the mind of we're on a hockey stick curve. Um, and so we need to, you know, we need to grow no matter what the cost. Uh, Amazon, it worked for Amazon, they go. Look, they still haven't made a profit in 99. Well, that was, that's true. Um, but I wasn't Amazon. And so under their guidance, we built the business up to 2 million rev by uh, 2002. And that year, that two million in rev cost me three million to generate. So about a million dollars in losses. And the investors went, well, it's all over. Each of them went back to their boards and said, that's the last board meeting we'll have at HMS. Those guys are toast. We'll never hear from them again. Um, they were kind of stunned when six months later I called and said, so we're having a board meeting. Are you guys coming? They went, what, you're still here? We said, yes, come on back because I wanted to stay in and I'd had to sweat blood that year uh, and continue to, to start cleaning up all kinds of things. Starting with the bank going, we're calling the line of credit. You owe me a hundred thousand dollars. It's like, okay. Uh, and credit cards and other things. So it's like piece by piece, we had to make arrangements. Once again, I was back in that, uh, you know, that place of, I have to find this money to build things back together. Um, and over that, uh, over that year, um, you know, then gradually I got a hold of things, but I had to cut staff. I cut half my staff on a given day in 2002, uh, where by the end of the day, I was literally in tears. And so, you know, very hard. These were all people that were, you know, kind of part of a family. It was like 30 people in the company then. And half of them went home that day, all kind of stunned. The last one to leave was my CFO who went, what me? Say, Dude, you gotta, you gotta be kidding me. You know, the numbers better than anyone. How did you think you weren't on the list? So. Uh, we cut more people over the next few years. Between 2002, it took me till 2006 to finally get the investors out. By that time, I had paid off all the lines of credit, all the credit cards. I had paid back the debentures, the loans, and interest. Uh, and all that was left was the last equity portion. And so they said, well, you know, we are kind of closing down these funds. We'd like out. I go, well, that's an interesting coincidence because I'd like you out. They go, uh, make us an offer. Give us a price. I go, one dollar. Literally. Uh, which I sent them in writing. Uh, and then they said, don't ever send an insulting offer like that again, ever. And so I said, okay, well, what do you want? They go, well, you know, 400,000. So I said, no, that's not happening. 
Um, and so in the end, they got about a year's salary, um, which was, you know, the irony of that was not lost on me. Like I clearly didn't get the message the first time. Um, but I got that lesson uh, in 2006 and I bought them out and if you added it all up together, I bought them out in the end on about 16 cents on the dollar. Um, but overall it was about 60 cents on the dollar. If you included the debentures and everything else, their lawyer, when I closed that deal said, you know, you've done pretty well. He says, I've been their lawyer for all these acquisitions. Uh, the legal agreement to get the money was this thick. I still have it all in French. Um, and then a little addendum about an inch higher. Uh, the, the deal to get them out was uh, three pages. Um, so, which suited me fine, because I was gonna have to pay for the lawyer either way. And so they he said, you've done well. Sometimes they failed. Sometimes they put two failed companies together to see if two failed companies could do better together. Uh, but you actually paid some money back and you're out and you're in control. So 2006, I arrived back. Yeah, it's like 16 cents on the dollar. Uh, their final payment was like 75K or something, which again, I didn't have. We had been, you know, we had spent everything in terms of trying to pay things back. So tough times, but the, the, the thing I want to impress upon you is that it, it wasn't a challenge in terms of knowing where I wanted to go. I knew where I wanted to be was in. They wanted out, which in the end, as I look back on it with perspective, I go, I got in with a bunch of people that I didn't have the same goals as me never knew anything about the product, didn't really care, only cared about the numbers. And, and that's fine, that was their business. Um, that's on me, right? I was the one who signed the agreement. Um, and so that did not work out quite the way, uh, quite the way that I had, uh, I had thought. Okay, so now we've got them, uh, you know, we've been able to get them out of the business. Um, we grew and I finally got them out of that last slice of the business in 2006 and went, uh, oh my God, you know, we're done. Uh, these funds were all closing down at that time anyway. They'd made their money in the late 1990s and uh, the business wasn't quite as attractive in the early 2000s. Um, and so they were happy uh, They were happy to be out and I was happy to be back in. So for me, it's like there was a moment in 2006, I remember leaving the lawyers and coming back to the office and going, okay, well, I've got it back again. I've got control. And that was a, a moment of great satisfaction to me. And yeah, all the lessons learned and I blame myself for some of that and it hadn't gone the way that I thought, but now it was ours again. And we still had a core team of people who had been along the way, about 10 people now, who had been there all along the way and knew how it had gone and knew how hard we'd fought and were committed. Plus we had this great looking list of clients. So we had uh, you know, these clients who were these Fortune 1000 clients, well, and it, money kept on coming in. We well, don't wanna throw that away, why would you close that? right? Find the end of the cost curve and drag it down below the revenue curve. But you can sense my, uh, my uh, reluctance to immediately talk to an investor to go, yeah, I'd love to cut a deal. And I can tell you that a deal that I would get today would not be as good as the deal I got in 99. Because I would not get a deal where I would be able to, comp to uh, keep control. Only because I had more than 50% of control, even with all of that stuff that happened, was I able to negotiate what we were going to do. I still could determine who the president was, what the direction was, whether to close or not. I mean, that, that's a big deal. Um, and they had representation on the board, but they couldn't decide. So I couldn't cut that deal, I don't think, today. Um, so now we have control of the business going, so if we're not gonna get investors and we're not gonna have this hockey stick curve, wh what have we got? Um, you know, we've got, a, um, uh, we've got a business where we're gonna have these big clients, but we're still small. 
what should be a, a guiding characteristic of that business? And we decided as an organization that customer satisfaction should be that. We wove it into our mission statement. We put it into every bit of training, became part of our HR. Um, all of that became key. This was the group that was available when we, you know, when we got started again. And now we said, we'd already pivoted several times. We'd pivoted to make the product a client server database product, to make the product an enterprise product that lived on a server, to make the product a web-based product, one of the first uh, browser-based products. Um, and then we made it a web-based product. Again, all new to the market. Uh, we were at the edge of that. Um, and our first mobile product, we actually have a failed mobile product that was never released that we wrote for the BlackBerry. I still have a BlackBerry with that code on it um, that was never released. And you know, long story that I tell project management people about when to cut your losses. Um, and this is the product that exists today. Now that's the web-based screen. There's also a mobile-based screen. It's also still available on-prem or as a SaaS. If it's on-prem, then we charge people an annual um, service fee. And if it's SaaS, then you know, just like every other SaaS, we just charge them for the, you know, the entire thing. We kept the on-prem because of the kinds of clients that we have. Turns out the Federal Reserve Board of Governors doesn't want to use our SaaS. I don't know, I think we're trustworthy, but they went, no, no, you're not even in the country. So, well, you're in the country, but the company's not, so no. Um, uh, the US Coast Guard don't, you know, won't, have, uh, you know, won't have it in the cloud. We could put it in the government cloud we go. They go, no, no, it's going to come here in the office. So that's fine. So we, we've maintained those things and tried to adjust to those to make it work for, um, for those clients. So, um, so that's a long story to getting to a business that's highly maneuverable um, and that, uh, that makes people happy. That being said, end users could care less. End users aren't happy with a timesheet. That's what we built, right? A timesheet. No end user wakes up on Friday morning and goes, Friday, it's timesheet day. I mean, we may have that fantasy at HMS. Regular humans do not. They view the timesheet that they only spend five minutes or so looking at a week. They view that as a barrier between their week and their weekend. So no one says, oh, thank God for time control. We have as a goal for those, for, for end users, make them the least unhappy possible. Ask them the fewest questions have it go as fast as possible, have the numbers be right. Because a project management tool um, might be off by $1,000 at the end of the year. But if your paycheck is off by a penny, sooner or later, you're gonna roll into the payroll office and go, I know it's stupid, I know I'm petty, I know it's only a penny, but it's my penny and I want it. So we have to work, the quality of the costing for time control's gotta work at that level. Um, that's different than a lot of people who go, well, we're just writing a timesheet, it's in Excel, it'll all be fine. Um, so we can make time, we can make managers and administrators super happy, uh, but the end users, yeah, not so much. Um, so when we look at how we did that, I just wanna make sure I don't run over time. So when we look at how we did that, we, uh, we wove it into everything. Our mission statement says, part of our mission document says that our standards are that every client will be referenceable. And if you meet with our, our people and you're talking to them and a client has a problem, something they are not happy with, the whole staff like starts to adjust. They become like a pretzel trying to fit into what do I need to do to make those people happy. That's pretty much what, we've, uh, what we created. Um, we have, I'm not sure if we're handing it out on the USB key or where it is, but we have like a whole course internally of what we do to make get client satisfaction. So I included that in the stuff that we gave to Nathan. And if you can't find it, then you know ask about it. Um, 
yeah, the kind of people we hire. We also, uh, one last thing uh, about people, our technical people, we rotate them all. Every developer serves in QA. Every developer does uh, technical support. Every developer does documentation. Every developer does, uh, does implementation. Because if you're a coder, you should have to go live with it, with the client. Um, you know how when you call for a technical problem and someone goes, I'm going to escalate that to engineering? We don't have that. When you call, everyone's an engineer because that's the people that we have. Everyone's rotating in those posts from the most junior to the most senior. That helps hugely with customer satisfaction uh, because you know somebody who can look at the code right now is looking at your problem. Um, yeah, so the, these numbers you saw already. So if I go back just the last uh, six years, going back for recurring revenue was at 68%, even though we'd already had a SaaS product uh, for almost five years by then, we've now reversed that. So 74 or 70, yeah, 74% of our revenue in 2021 is recurring. Complete change from how the business is run. Um, and that really drives what we're doing. Uh, we take about 20% of our profits and we give them to the staff. Uh, we have a whole formula, a little bit like this you heard this morning on, you know, how much uh, time you've been here and what kind of salaries you have and, and what you're going to get. And we're taking like, you know, last year there was about um, 700K in profits. So Nathan goes, you took it all home. I went, no. I took some home. I kept some in the business. Um, you know, because if we do have another recession, I'm already well padded. Um, and we're on track to do better than that this year. So um, lessons learned. Just because somebody comes in and has a lot of money doesn't mean they have your business acumen or your experience or your expertise in doing what you do. It's a big lesson if you have people pitching you to give you money under whatever the conditions are. You're the inventor, not the person with the money. And they didn't invent the money either. They're going to provide it to you. And if money is what you need in order to move forward, then you know, get the money, get the best deal that you can. But don't give up on your expertise because somebody arrives saying, well, I had a million dollar check. And so therefore, it's the oh, therefore that, you know, I think those of us who've gone through that around once or twice um, have had to deal with. Um, and then I guess the other thing is that a small company can be just as powerful with big companies. We, we competed against SAP a few years ago for a particular client. And um, SAP finally said, we're going to give you our timesheet product for zero. Their original offer was like four million. Um, and in the end, they said, we'll give it to you for nothing. And so we got a call from the client saying, you know, they say they're going to drop their price to zero. I go, well, you get what you pay for, I guess. I said, but we aren't. Our product is actually valuable. So, you know, we wish you good luck. Um, so even big players uh, can compete with that. Um, and then that's it. Uh, so uh, you can uh, reach out to me, uh, uh, you know, by email if there's something you want to talk about. We didn't talk about time control really at all, but it's an awesome thing. Uh, so uh, you're welcome to go by and take a look at that. Um, I'm going to be here uh, the rest of the afternoon. If people have questions for me directly, feel free to come by. And that's it. Thanks. Thanks.